Hello and welcome back to the In and Around podcast. I am one of your hosts, Will Hunt, and joining me this week, like every week, is Mikey Breslin. Hello. And David Harris. Hello. So, what's the In and Around football podcast all about? Well, every week, three guys. Three guys. <laughs> or as David would say, chaps. Get together to discuss and debate the world of football now. We've got some stuff to talk about for once. Because, uh, as you all know, the last couple of weeks with football shut down, we haven't really had a lot to talk about. And we um, we didn't record last week. We instead used uh, an episode all about the draft. So if you haven't listened to that, go and listen to it and find out why Dave doesn't like left-backs. Um, but this week, we're going to talk a bit more about the Premier League finally coming back. Talk a bit more about the EFL. EFL? I always want to call it the EFL Championship, which is not right. <laughs> is this... Is it the EFL Championship? It did championship? used to be. Yeah, you that, can say it? EFL Championship. Is it the yeah. EFL? yeah, yeah, it's EFL yeah. Championship, EFL League One, EFL League Two. What did it? What did it used to be called? It just used it to be Champ. Before that, it was. I want the Coca. It was Coca Cola. Coca Cola Championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coca Cola yeah. League One. Um. Anyway, I guess we'll talk about that shite league. Um. And we'll then. Right. First tangent of the week. Everybody waffles about the championship and everybody waffles about how it's the best league in the world. It's let's I'm, I'm not on that fence. I'm get I'm getting it out there now. It's not the best league in the world. Some of the standard of football in there woeful. Much like some of the standard of football in the Premier League, woeful, but far better. So well the reason people think it's the best league in the world is because how competitive it is, because anyone can beat anyone. Yeah, that's overrated though competitiveness has been a quality and standard bearer of... Uh, to be fair, if you want absolute carnage at the moment, League One's the place to go. Yeah, mate. League One looks mental at the moment. Anyway, <laughs> what else are we going to talk about this week? Um, we're also going to talk about um, United have been given some sort of permission for some form of safe standing. So we're going to debate, I think, about whether or not safe standing should make its way back into the game because that's what they love in football grounds now, making people less safe. And then we're also going to talk about um, the age, the influence agents are having on transfers and new contracts, particularly given at the end of the season there's some really interesting um, free agents, but also um, kind of like... Interesting situations like our free agents are actually going to keep playing, blah, 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 blah. But before all of that, how are you, boys? How are we doing? Dave, talk to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm good, thanks. Uh, yeah, just excited the football's coming back, really. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, that, that's about it, really. Mike? Yeah, by the sounds of it, I'm doing a bit better than Dave. <laughs> yeah, I, I just froze that. I didn't really know what else to, to throw in. To the hardest question of all for Dave, how are you? <laughs> it's a difficult one. Let yeah. me tell you. Yeah. Now, yeah, doing all right. Um, keeping that up. Yeah. Watching a bit uh, of the Bundesliga, so it's, it's not all bad. I, I, I tell you what, on the Bundesliga, just quickly, because we're not going to talk about it. I'm talking about the defending in that league. Good lord, have they all signed a pact that they're going to play against every high? They're going to play against every other team with a really high line and just let the attacking players run in behind. I feel like every game I watch, it could be like four or five. I, I watched a, I watched a, a Gladbach game the other day in which players scored. And the left centre-back, I thought he must have been out thinking he was doing walkies with his dog because he was nowhere to be seen. It's like he was off around the park for a run. like It was obscene. Some of the uh, yeah, some of the highlights that you see on the, on the YouTube, uh, on the BT Sport, some of the defending... I don't know where these guys are being trained. So often, 
you just see four v three in the attacking favour, and there's just so much room for the um the forwards. Ooh. And I'm just like, how did we get to this point? Where are they? Well, I, I sat there watching Dortmund the other day, and I thought I was trying to work it out. I'm like. I don't want this tactically good that they always seem to have three people running through on goal <laughs> at least four or five times a game. And I realised, no, it wasn't. It's because Hertha Berlin haven't got a clue how to defend a paper bag. I mean, not Hertha Berlin. I was thinking more Paderborn, but Christ, some of the defending is bad. Um, and this is coming from a guy who watched Kurt Zuma be Bambi on ice for most of his life. Anyway... Before I, uh, my grumpiness infects the rest of the podcast, um, <laughs> the Premier League is coming back um, in true sods law. And we recorded an episode uh, all about the Premier League coming back. And then on the day we released it, literally an hour later, um, the Premier League decided that they were coming back on June the 17th. So, yeah, that was good fun. Um, June the 17th is the official confirmed return date. It's starting off with an absolutely huge, huge fixture. Of Villa versus Sheffield United and Man City versus Arsenal is the other smaller fixture. Boys, feelings on the Premier League finally announcing that they're coming back? Uh, I mean, we sounded quite negative, I think, on the uh, on the Project Restart pod. But mm-hmm. I'm buzzing, if I'm honest. <laughs> yeah. It seems like they can get it done pretty safely, so let's, let's get football back. That's what I say. Saturday mm. Ackers are on the return. <laughs> Dave, what do you think? Um, I'm excited it's coming back, but as we discussed before, I'm a bit conflicted about it in terms of stuff like safety and, um, yeah, just sort of even like contracts and stuff. But it's coming back, so obviously I'm looking forward to watching it and it'll be nice to see the football come back and see how the season plays out, really. Um, It is what it is now, so may as well look forward to being able to actually watch it. Yeah, it's a terrible idea, but let's just make do with it. Um, I think it's actually interesting that they're um, catching up on the Carling Cup loss fixtures first. And you know what that says to me? That says to me that they might, they're thinking, I'll tell you what, if we have to cancel this again, we want to make sure everybody's played exactly the same number of fixtures so we can do points per game. Yeah. That's the first thing I thought, exactly the same. No one can have as much of a uh, pissy fit if they get relegated because they've played the same games as everyone else. I mean... They still will. Personally in how I feel about points per game and relegations and titles. And I am still of the opinion, and I think I will always be of the opinion, that you can't relegate or hand out a title unless every game's been played. Um, so either way for me, I, I, I'll i still be there, pitchfork in hand, outside and field, saying that they haven't won a title and that they can, get, <laughs> they can sod off. And that, in fact, they've actually just lost this season. So... I'll be there. But anyway, let's get talking about what's actually happening. Um, positive signs that there were no actual positive tests in the fourth round of Premier League testing. Um, but there was one in the fifth round and it was uh, Tottenham Hotspur personnel, wasn't Nor- it? Yeah, normally they say who the player was, but I haven't actually seen or No, I, I haven't seen, seen who it is one. either. I mean, it was actually interesting that it was a Tottenham uh, player because it's the first time they've ever come first in anything. Um, so, <laughs> they they're currently passing a vote to get back into contact training. Um, that that did, did they go do it? through? Didn't yeah. go through. No, it did go through. Oh, Everyone, it did go through. Yeah, yeah. So um, I've got to be honest. Go on. I was baffled as to why they were having that vote. 
Because if the idea is that they're going to play, why are we voting about contact? It's a it's a good point. I think it was just to do with the, like the timing of when. So when they did the vote, they all voted in favour, which meant that the next day they could go and do contact training instead of like the, if they'd have said no then, then maybe they'd have had another vote in a week. I don't know exactly how it works, but I'm assuming that's the case. Right. I'm, I'm not sure. But anyway, since that got passed, there's been footage of a, a Spurs 11v11 on the on the pitch there at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. How's that so. worked out? Because none of them can win. <laughs> um, I, I imagine it was a boring nil-nil. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know if you saw, Liverpool also had an 11v11 at Anfield um, yeah. of squads of like fringe players and youngsters and, and first teamers and just just quickly dave if some liverpool, horror finishing uh, if liverpool were playing if liverpool were playing liverpool how did the referee know which one to favor <laughs> a bit of an awkward uh, look there from you dave well i imagine the ref was one of the coaches well so it's not too far from the normal did, circumstances did of manager turn up to this fixture he was there on the side i think that's good of him he couldn't make the carling cut yeah <laughs> What's really interesting is uh, the Liverpool reserves beat the first team, and then Klopp said, "Oh no, it was uh, there was snow in the air in uh, Finland, and we uh, we just couldn't play to the level we wanted to play to." <laughs> Knob. Um, <laughs> you can exactly see where my head's at for this podcast. Um, so, what I am actually excited about, actually excited about, is that the BBC are going to be showing live Premier League games for the first time ever. I mean, they've only got four games, but. As someone who thinks that when I watch the FA Cup, I actually quite like the BBC coverage um, in terms of who they get versus, say, BT. I think in terms of the football coverage, I think BT are clearly the worst. And then I think Sky are pretty good. And then I think BBC are pretty good. Um, so I'm actually going to be quite interested to see that um, the BBC are getting some live games. But um, in terms of the games that are being shown, it's going to be a frightening amount of football on telly, Brez. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there's 92 Premier League games left and, a, and 108 Championship games, which gives us 200 just English football matches to watch, which, as far as I know, all of them are in one way or another being shown somewhere. Um, as you say, B- BBC have got four of the Prem games, Amazon have got four, Sky have got 64 of the remaining 92, of which 25 they're showing free to air, which is quite nice as well. Mm. Um, and then BT have got 20 games so yeah there's going to be a fiesta of football I don't, I don't know if everyone's seen the kickoff times um, oh yeah <laughs> so you've got Friday at 8 o'clock in the evening and then Saturday I, I don't know if you'd, you'd even need to leave your settee <laughs> <laughs> if you want you've got the 12.30 3 o'clock 5.30 and 8 o'clock and then you can go to bed at 10, get up, have a fry up on Sunday morning, and then you've got 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 4.30 and 7 o'clock. <laughs> so I don't know if you've got time for anything other than watching football. And if you're not done there, you've got Monday at 8 and then Tuesday or Wednesday at 6 and 8 o'clock kickoffs. And that's just the Prem. Yeah. We've, we've so many matches to choose from and so much football on TV. I just I don't want to see Newcastle Burnley on the telly, and I'm imploring Sky, BT, BBC. No, don't do it. <laughs> don't put it on the telly. Don't. We don't. In fact, don't put Newcastle on the telly at all. Just take them off. 
plenty of choices. Um, they won't. They won't. I don't think there's going to be any choice. There'll be a, a, a game at a certain kickoff time, so whatever's on is what will be on. Yeah, but is this is going to sound like apart a, from maybe midweek? You'll have a choice in midweek. This is going to sound like a pretty wild question to ask in a football podcast. So are you ready? Always will. Is it too much? Is it too much football? Are you worried about football burnout in a way? Maybe, but I understand that they have to do this because what they're trying to avoid is people turning up to where the games could be, be could be being played. So if you're literally sharing showing all of them in some way, shape or form, no one has an excuse to not sit at home and watch them. And that's the that's the real thing that is behind this because as we saw even before lockdown really came in with like Champions League games and stuff, loads of fans still turned up outside the grounds. Like it happened with PSG and I think it happened with one of the Spanish teams. Um, they just, if the TV, if it's on the TV, there's no, literally no excuse for anyone to, to try and turn up to grounds or, or anything like that. So it makes sense. I mean, you say burnout well. No one's no one's tying you to the chair for all of these kickoffs. If you don't want to see them, don't, no, don't tune in, Sam. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's a very, as simple it's a very as good that. point. It's a very good point. Um, <laughs> actually, though, talking about burnout, um, I'm, again, going to bring it back to the idea of the players. Um, that's a lot of football to be played. Um, a lot. This is really interesting, is that when a, when a club makes the Champions League for the first time in a while, there is always a talk about whether or not they have um, the squad to cope with the rigours of playing midweek and playing at the weekend, for example. Um, and they always talk about having big squads and things like that. So I guess my question is, how, how, can, how do you envisage this level of football in this short period of time going for some of the clubs lower down the league. So, example, talk about your Watfords, um, your West Ham's, your Tottenham Hotspurs. How are we seeing that going for them? <laughs> like, are, I, we, are you seeing a big problem for their injuries I can, and stuff? I can see there being quite a few injuries all, all round, let alone just the bottom teams. I think to have them from so much time off to going into very heavy and, and packed schedules, I think inevitably there will be an increase in injuries i mean there's injuries anyway whenever football is played but the i could see there being more sort of muscle injuries and just sort of fatigue injuries mm. um with the bottom i think obviously as we as we said before the, those teams don't really have as much squad depth as you know your bigger teams due to finances and just quality of players they can attract even um so, yeah, I mean, there's always that possibility that a team near the bottom could lose a star player. Um, and that could be the difference between them staying up or going down, perhaps. Which All a star player not thinking it's safe to play. Um, Mike, with the yeah. with this many games, um, again, I sort of want to bring this back. Now we know a bit more about the five substitute rule. Um, I want to sort of bring back a question from a few weeks ago do you see so we were talking before the podcast about how um, there were all these been, been a bit of a weird season been a bit of a transition season for a lot of teams so you've got teams like Leicester you've got teams like Sheffield United a bit further up uh, the league than they would normally be being chased by your your classical teams like United 
and Arsenal and Chelsea are around there. Does having five substitutes to be able to really impact a game? Because not only have you got your previous three that could you could bring on and change the game, you've also, for many of the clubs like Chelsea, Man United and Arsenal, you've got five internationals you're bringing off the bench. Um, are you a bit worried about the competitive balance in the league for the teams that are perhaps overachieving? Uh yeah, to be, I think we may, I think we did bring this up before, but yeah, I'm sure this this five sub rule favours the uh, the top teams more than it does the lower teams. As you're saying, you, you're going to still have some top internationals on the benches mm. of United, Chelsea, Arsenal, to a lesser extent Spurs, but there's still a few good players on their bench. Whereas if you look down at your Villas, Norwich, Bournemouth, they're, they're bringing on fresh legs, which, yes, is helpful and will help reduce the muscle, in, muscle injuries. But as far as experience and even talent-wise, I don't think, even for three subs, they probably can't match it. But when it gets to your five subs, mm. I don't think the standard of play you're bringing on, if you, are, if you do make all five subs, is anywhere close. And it, the other part of it is, obviously... The rest of the season has been played with three subs. Mm-hmm. And so now, with nine games or ten games in a couple of cases, you're changing the rule. Yeah. I, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a strange one, although I do agree it's probably the right thing to do. <laughs> yeah, if but, we're going to... Uh, health for the players-wise. Mm. But it would come with a few concerns. However, it seems to not have been voted against by anyone. So. No, I, I do get the I do get the sense this is one of those rules that's going to be quite interesting to see if it kicks around because, um, as we said last uh, two weeks ago, um, the idea of having more subs and saving more legs in the era of more games is probably a sensible thing. The one other way that the restart isn't fair, um, the neutral venues. Just quickly, do you think it will? They'll keep that rule on I think they'll keep it for I the entire time it. yeah because they just a couple of years ago was it that FIFA changed the rule to have an extra sub in extra time yeah, yeah it's, it's four, so that, it's it? already starting to go that way wasn't yeah. it Maybe I think it will stick around I I don't think I, I'm not again I'm, I don't think it's particularly the healthiest thing for the competition in the league but if we're being brutally honest, in our lifetime, the only team who's ever won a... If, in fact, practically the only time the, the Premier League's been in existence since 1992, the only time a team's ever upset the odds is Leicester. And that's something we're never going to see again. So when we talk about the competition, what are we really talking about? Because yeah, I'd rather it's kind of always been like this. Yeah, I'd rather prioritise the health of some of the players that play for, you know, United, Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham... Sorry, I said top teams. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what are we going to do? These right. people are worth millions to potential transfers or marketing or whatever. So it's important. You need to look after your product as well. Yeah. And they're obviously part of that. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it also, on the flip side of the coin about making it slightly unfair, it's not a bad time to try rule tweaks like this one. When no. you've got a mini season, they're talking. About, I follow baseball quite closely, which some people may or may not know. 
and they're talking about similar things changing the postseason in that. So it doesn't seem like a, a bad time to try out other things if you're thinking about this could be something we might think about in the future. Yeah. It's it's a bit weird actually because um uh, again like we we talked about basketball on here as well. They have like a, a league before the NBA season comes back, usually called summer league, in which they try out all these weird rules and some don't work, some work. But you're right, you're absolutely right. You're thinking that this is a good chance for. FIFA and you in the FA to have a little bit of a mess around and see what they can do. Um, the other thing it could be a good time for is any particular because they're going to need to fill their benches a lot of these things. So we might see some promising youngsters. Yeah, yeah um, which is that. which to me to be honest is one of the very few positives out of this whole situation for me. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, I think it's definitely opening up that element maybe for for younger players to get a chance where they might not have if this season had been concluded normally. Um, and ultimately with the, the five subs, you know, players, teams can, I could, I would imagine, I know obviously the fitness will be a bit of a factor anyway, they might be able to go just more attacking in general because they know that they'll have two extra players to bring on to freshen up the team. Um, so I think you could see much more attacking football just because they, they have those extra two options to bring on people for terms of lags. I tell you what, if anyone gets a boost of attacking Chelsea, Christ, because if we've got Emerson and Kepper playing, <laughs> God, we might lose. We might concede 10 goals a game, honestly. Old rubber glove hands, Kepper. Oh, the Chelsea, the ch- right, the quick one about Kepper. The Chelsea took the Twitter account and was like, oh, look, our keeper's back in training. I was just like... And I'm I'm sat there typing out a hashtag not my keeper tweet, and then I had, I had deleted it. I was like, it's not worth. <laughs> but he's I'm just not looking forward to seeing him play again. Um. Anyway, the one last thing that they are sort of doing that's really interesting is that the there seems to be an idea that it's going to be neutral venues, isn't it? What do we think of that? I find it bizarre, really. Um. I don't. I don't know. It depends how they plan on doing it. If they're going to, if they're going to do that, so all the teams can be in like one sort of place, and there's not much travel involved for any of the teams. But that's not what they're on about. It's just moving some, some yeah, games away from stadiums. I don't. I think I don't really understand. They've talked about moving. I can't remember the specifics, but one of them is the Merseyside derby, which is the first weekend where Liverpool could win the league potentially. You see, the Merseyside derby is an interesting one because no matter what you tell people, as we've all as we've all seen, and no matter what you tell people, now that they've sort of relaxed the lockdown in this country, um, regardless of what the advice is, um, people are going to um, go outside more. And if Liverpool clinch a title against their rivals at home, then it doesn't matter if people aren't allowed in the ground; it's going to be bedlam outside it. But what about even if you move it? to the Olympic Stadium, surely the Liverpool fans would still congregate outside Anfield, no? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah they probably like. would. Yeah. But... it's Obviously, it's up to the police forces what they think is going to be better, but it's... I mean, it's not necessarily Liverpool fans that are the problem because I think a lot of no. Liverpool fans would do this if their team hadn't won a championship for 30 years and then Firstly, they're going to win a, a league. Liverpool fans are always the problem, Brez. Continue. Well... No, but 
I, I don't think you avoid the problem by having the game somewhere else. No, I think I think it is important. Simply in that case, it is important for the Premier League and the police to be seen to be doing all they can, though. Just yeah, in course, terms, yeah. just in terms of the legal ramifications, because it, it, I mean, if think of it like you, you've already seen that people are starting to people people who are not involved in other things, and I'm talking around an issue here. People who are not involved in other things blame the other things when things goes wrong. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Not to sound like the yeah. Liverpool lad. So yeah, so the rest of the country were blaming. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. So what you will get is, for... you will get is a load of non-football fans going. Look what because the, they're already doing it with the Liverpool Atletico Madrid game. They're also saying, could this be a massive public health disaster? Which, to be fair, yeah, well, prob- I'm sure it probably was. But Cheltenham was probably worse. Yeah, Cheltenham was definitely worse. Yeah. Um, but that's just so, yeah. that's trying to avoid. Yeah, no, I'm. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the neutral venues thing. But if it's if the police decide that's the best thing, then that's what they're going to do, and that's fair enough. I'll, um, we'll have to go with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I think the more interesting thing is, does that have, if you're doing a neutral venue thing, does that not have um, a co- an effect on the, the competitive side of it? Well, the, in the Bundesliga, the home advantage seems to have been totally wiped out a little bit, or yeah, if not going the other way, a touch. Wasn't the first? Wasn't the first? It wasn't a stupid stat. Like after the first two game weeks, only like five of the twenty-seven home teams had won. Something, yeah, something, like, yeah, something silly like that. Oh, after the first three, of, yeah. Which is, I mean, it's obviously a small sample, but it would suggest that there's a lot, and you can kind of understand why there'd be a less home advantage, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, is is it a little unfair to move a, a Liverpool home game away from Anfield? I don't know. When everyone else, Brighton is still going to be playing at the Amex. <laughs> Yeah, but that's all right. No one goes there anyway. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, let's move let's move down the division to the best league in the world, um, the Championship. Um, they've also got a date. They're aiming for June twentieth. They're saying they plan to complete the season and have a player final on the July the thirtieth. They might do the five sub rule. They might have match day squads of twenty. Good lord, what are they putting on the bench? Uh, what are Blues <laughs> putting on the bench? Dave Christ. <laughs> Dave might be on the Blues bench. <laughs> the Blues oh, have twenty players. Uh, I was actually going to add something really interesting that has only been announced recently. So we bought up the chance. It's exclusive. It is. Uh, I got it from our close sources, actually. Can um, we get a jingle for that? Uh, I'll just, no. Right, we'll, we'll get one for next week. We'll get one for next week. You could just throw in a klaxon sound effect, Will, every time. No, well, I'm not going <laughs> to do that. Um, basically, we discussed contracts. Now, with the championship... By the 23rd of June, they have to confirm if players are going to play or not. So, if they... Yeah. After so, the season started? Yeah, they have until the 23rd of June. There's one game week, sense. and then they have to confirm if they're going to car- carry on playing and they're going to pay them, or if they're not. <laughs> and basically, if they if they aren't staying, they can't use them toward, after the 23rd of June. Can they sign? So can those players sign for another team? They haven't let's, disclosed yet. They haven't. Let's use, let's use our mate at Charlton. No, no, they can't because they won't be signed for anyone before the twenty third of June. No, but they could be on the first of July. I don't think they're going to allow that. Surely they can't allow that. 
But yeah, literally, they have to. The players have to be registered by the 23rd of June. So any player out of contract, if they don't want to play, they cannot play beyond the 23rd of June. It's it's why, mental. Why have they done that after a game week? I really don't know, to be honest. Also, the match day squads of 20 might have saved a few people's jobs for another month or two. Yeah, that's... Yeah, good that's point. one actually. thing I've seen. Um, just quickly... Uh, why are they coming back? I just I can't get over this. I can't like they're coming back to finish the season, so it's everything's competitive and a ton of championship players aren't going to be back. Yes, it's because they want promotion to the prem. They, they want to keep promotion to the prem. And it's just it's just it's it's wrong. It's just the com- the competitive edge for the, the the whole reason for coming back from a competitive standpoint is gone in both leagues it's baffling to me anyway yeah it actually seems a bit worse in the championship yeah I, I mean and what's actually worse in the championship is there's actually still currently ten positive tests and I and, and the absolute worst part one of the worst parts of the week for me was when I found myself sitting there and agreeing with a QPR manager. <laughs> Well, he's, he, yeah, he could, oh, the heir to the Warburton Loaf King himself. Um, <laughs> let me tell you now, when he came, when they came out and they said, um, they said, oh, we haven't been consulted. And Warburton was like, I'm absolutely stunned by this announcement. I'm like, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, I can get my head around that the Premier League is coming back because there's so much money involved. And although I think it's silly and they shouldn't be coming back, I thought. I can't believe the championship's coming back. I, I just don't understand it. I don't get it. It's not safe. There's, you've got more players. You've got more potential for it to go wrong. Not as much money. Not as much money. Like D- Dave, why are they coming back? Well, I was just going to add on a side note. Um, the EFL has ruled that if anyone signs for someone else, they can't play for them until the next season. Just to clear oh, that one up. God's sake. Uh, um, <laughs> well, that's good at least. Yeah, anyway, with the championship coming back, I think the only reason it's coming back is basically to sort to aid the Premier League in terms of who goes up from the playoffs and who goes up. I think that's the only reason that it's coming back because you can't... It's fine. Teams are obviously going to get relegated from the Premier League. You can't necessarily automatically promote teams especially how tight the championship is at the top yeah yeah so i think it's solely coming back just to legitimize every team that is in the premier league next season okay dave I've got... it's pretty ironic that the premier league broke away from the rest of the football league but still needs the championship like true this. true um just quickly i've got um i've got a fix for that dave the answer is to cancel the season no one goes down no one goes up and no titles are given <laughs> three point he's done it um anyway don't is, mind it perhaps the championship has turned up and um charlton have perhaps been interesting for the first time since being managed by alan kerbishley um <laughs> lee bowyer came out and said three players are refusing to play including top goal scorer lyle taylor who is an absolute knob um in case he gets injured as he's out of contract in the summer he Lee Bowyer came out and said he's going to get a life-changing move, which is very interesting. Given it's he's, uh, Celtical he's Rangers, off. apparently. What <laughs> is, is that it? <laughs> no, so Crystal Palace are interested, and a couple of other prem teams, a couple of other prem teams, but they reckon Celtic might be the the main team that comes in for him. But he's going to go you, play with Lee Griffiths and Scott Brown. 
Uh, Scott Brown. And- yeah, but I tell you what, it'd be life changing when he's on the end of a Scott Brown challenge in training. Christ, it, it'd be life changing. Life changing. Seeing Scott Brown with hair. Now yeah, that, that is changing. Yeah, that, that's that is true. something that really is life changing. Well, I mean, I was I was actually in I was actually in support of Lyle Taylor for once in his life. Um, until I realised that his life-changing move was to go and play for Roy of the Rovers in and have pork scratchings at half-time. Um, but <laughs> he's... Where do we... So, he's out of contract on the 30th of June. As Dave said, he's probably eligible to play one game week. How do we feel about him refusing to play? Gut instinct on an emotional level, how do you feel about him refusing to play? Bruce? I've... I see both sides to it. This is the thing. But gut and gut feeling is that he should be playing for the team because the audacity of Lyle Taylor, the guy's a league one striker for his entire career and he's managed to actually step up to the championship and he thinks he's above them. What the heck, man? You're not some young kid who's who's like going up and up and up. You're 30. You might never get to play in the Premier League. If... The way he's conducted this, clubs may not even come into him. He might, the height of his career might be coming off the bench in some for Celtic, because he's, yeah, in the he's not League Cup semi-final. Yeah, he's just, I just can't really believe it, in in that. And I think the thing, the thing that really gets me with Lyle Taylor is he's done this before with Wimbledon. Uh, when he was in League One, they sort of stayed up against the odds. And he held out for ages and ages and then signed a contract with Charlton instead. Like, he just doesn't conduct himself well. And I'm like, how can he think he's above Charlton when he, this is the only time he's ever played in the championship? It's not like, it's not, I don't understand this if it was a player like Mitrovic at Fulham. Like, that guy is so way, way, way too good for the championship. If he didn't want to play because he knew he's at a good age to go to a, a big level and he's proven himself on several occasions, even in the Premier League, you'd be like, OK, fair enough. This guy is definitely above this level. Lyle Taylor's probably not even getting anywhere near mm. the, any team in the playoffs. First, it's an absolute farce. Dave, firstly, I agree with a lot with what you're saying, but it is, it's absolutely ludicrous to even pretend to use the Mitrovic um, example because every single football player that's ever played for Fulham is too big for Fulham. Um, Mike, how do you feel about it? Well, this is great because Dave's just done a massive U-turn live on the pod. (laughs) Not for the first time. Because we had a discussion about this yesterday and I was the only one who thought he should be playing. My gut feeling the whole time, my gut feeling the whole time is that he should be playing. I just totally understand the other side of him not playing especially in terms of health but my gut feeling is he should play mike talk me through how you feel about it i i just hate it to be honest that he's not playing i i just i don't i don't i don't don't believe his story about being up all night and making this decision no he already he already knew that he was he wasn't going to play i don't like the idea that he thinks oh in case i get injured if you that worried about injured, what are you playing football for? You could get injured. You could, could have got injured any other time in the whole season. And his big move would have been gone. He, yeah, but Mike, but this is the thing. Got, he did get injured COVID. this season. Oh, he did get injured. Yeah, that's why he that he got a knee back. injury at the start of the season. And basically he still that's had the best why season of his career. He doesn't want to aggravate it. 
and that's his main oh, reason for break. not coming back. Give me a break. Um, I'll take this if one. If it was COVID related, yeah, fine. But it's right. not. Right. I think what's a, I think I again not to sound like Dave. Um, I totally understand where you're coming from, and I think there's another really interesting point I, about. I know I'm probably wrong about this. A really interesting point about him, how he's let down his teammates as yeah, well. That's the point I wanted to um, get to. That's that's the one thing. That's the one part where I'm like, I, I'd love to know what his teammates thought, because I imagine there would be some of them that think, yeah, okay, Lyle, and then a few others are thinking, you're holding out for a move to Celtic. Christ. Mate, they've met Lyle Taylor. None of them are thinking, yeah, okay, Lyle. <laughs> None of them. No. Um, but I, I can't sit here. I don't. I think it's pretty difficult to sit here. Like I have done for two weeks and advocate for players' health and players to be treated like human beings, and then say that if you're worried about playing beyond a contract, you shouldn't play. Like I don't. I don't see the. It's particularly now. Dave said that he could only play one game week. I'm not really sure why he should come back because if he's not going to sign for Charlton, then I find it really difficult to say to someone, "Yeah, you've signed a contract. Your contract's up, and that you have to continue on." Now, with that said, and on an emotional front, I think I think he should want. I think he should play. I think he should want to play. I think he should make himself available for that one game week, and then after that, I think, yeah, cut your ties with the club. You're well, a knob, no, and everyone get, knows you're a knob. injured in that 90 minutes, Will. He can't come back. He can't possibly play that game. No, and that's the interesting... What if he aggravates his knee injury? That's the interesting thing with Bell this. End. I don't think he should... <laughs> I don't I don't think he should... I think he should make himself available. I don't think he should play beyond that, and I don't quite like how some people in all corners are calling for players to play even if they haven't agreed. Particularly, I think Ryan Fraser's been mentioned a lot. That said, Lyle Taylor... Another should, one. Lyle Taylor should be playing that game. And if he's not playing, he should be... His wage is fine. But what goes around comes around. And the fact of the matter is, when football when football clubs go to sign someone, when it's top-draw recruitment at the top size, which, joking apart... You imagine that Celtic have got a good recruitment structure there. They look at character. They look at how you're going to fit in. And if you're willing to, let's be honest, throw your teammates under the bus for the, sake of a, for, the, for the sake of a game, it's not a good look for you. And regardless of whether it's fair, it's going to impact on your career. But it's very interesting. And it's one of the reasons that football shouldn't be coming back. Anyway... Couldn't have made it clearer where I stand on football coming back, could I? Christ. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure about three things in life. Death, taxes, football not coming back. Oh, it's four. And Kepa being shit. Um, right. So we've got a listener question we're going to talk about. Because we'd like having a nice debate on the podcast and a bit consensus. Although I think we all might be in agreement here. United... The lovely Manchester United have been given permission to have 150 barrier seats on trial. What does this mean? Well, it's sort of like it's sort of a return to safe standing in English football. And Yates's question, a lovely listener, Mr. James Yates, um, he's asked, is this a good thing? Um, so, lads, I put it to you. Is A, this trial a good thing? And B, is the return of safe standing a good thing? Mike, you're the United fan. Take it away. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a pretty good thing. Um, obviously, provided it can be done safely somehow. So starting with a 150 people trial seems a low enough amount. Mm-hmm. Um, you can work out what works, what doesn't, etc. Uh, I, I believe they do it in Europe already. Yeah, Dortmund do. 
Dortmund especially, obviously, are the main example. So we should we should be able to manage it. Um, I imagine it will help the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Be a bit more like the old old days, but not. We don't want to throw it too far back and have any disasters like we've seen. Mm-hmm. At, well, the, uh-huh. obviously the, the most famous is Hillsborough, but there were other examples of yeah. Uh, yeah. of that as well. Um, and another point I was going to make is that a lot of people stand at the games at Old Trafford anyway. That that's that's a big that's a big thing. It is the same across all grounds. Like um, yeah, I, I, I mean Old Trafford's obviously the one I know the best, but I assume yeah. this happens at a lot of places. Yeah, I stood. Um, I I went out the last time I went to Chelsea. I can't remember who it was for. I stood for most of the game just because everyone around me was standing as well. And um, yeah, it is better. I, I am of the opinion if you have to stand, it's better. I mean, when we went to Villa Man City. Everyone stood, didn't they? Everyone stood. We were in the away end and the stewards weren't even asking. So, in a way, safe standing is already in the grounds. Dave, what do you think of the idea of it coming back officially, though? What do you think kind of message does that send? As as Mike said, I think if you can keep it safe, which they should be able to, it's... I don't really see a problem with it. One thing, actually, that I really thought about, which sort of takes away some of possibly the element of, of previous possible disasters and like overcrowding is that obviously now when you go into a football ground, you have to physically scan a ticket. You can't yep. push through turnstiles and, and get in and lead to overcrowding. There wouldn't be, there wouldn't physically be an environment where there could be like a rush that has seen in the past that has led to past disasters because I imagine standing seats would be obviously cheaper than and having a seat, I would imagine. But even so, every single person on the ground is going to be accounted for and they're going to have to have a scan ticket. So I think that in itself removes possibly the biggest danger element, just because there's no risk of people not being accounted for in the ground. Um, but again, it would be interesting to see how it really plays out. I don't think any team... Not not at the level of like the Premier League at least would turn back to having like an entire stand of standing. I don't think we'll ever see that again at the top. Press. Uh, I went I went to Brentford a couple of years ago, and that when they still had the um, the standing end there, it was great. I re- yeah. I really enjoyed it there. Yeah. Um, um, obviously they they had to fall in line with the Championship regulations. They've had to remove that stand and put it all seated but I really enjoyed it to be honest yeah and um, just quickly have you seen the inside of Brentford's new ground yeah it looks horrendous god it looks woeful absolutely really? woeful they gave yeah, it yeah it looks horrendous god um I also want to just I actually I'll give you my opinion now I guess god podcast who would have thought it um I went to a game uh, a couple of years ago at um Leicester um, versus Derby in the FA Cup um, and I was in I can't remember which stand of the King Power I was in however we stood in we were right up at the top and we stood for the entire game and it was it was the season after Leicester had won the title and it was fantastic the whole place was bouncing it turned quite a dull game into a great game um, I'm all in favour provided it can be done safely as always mm. um, and I actually think it's a really good step that it's a club like United who has the cachet and the pull at the top of the game and can actually affect things that is taking these steps and is bringing it back and I look forward to standing in the bridge giving it someone like that 
<laughs> Hopefully. Of course, a lot of you can't see that, but I'm sure you'll know what sort of gesture it was. <laughs> probably, it would probably be Anthony Taylor, Tic Tac himself. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, if I did that, if I did that while Liverpool were playing, Jurgen Klopp would tell me his players lost because um, they were distracted. Anyway, we've got another question, which is actually quite an interesting question, particularly when you consider that we've um, been having a discussion on this part about contracts and contracts and transfers are such a major part of the game now, and they're going to be under even more scrutiny than usual this summer when obviously everybody's affected by the financial crunch of the COVID bull, although apparently uh, certain West London club aren't affected. How are we boys? Come on, team! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, Liverpool, you might not get a title and you lost your striker. Fuck me. <laughs> um, OK, obviously, I don't believe it till he's holding up a shirt, but I will be absolutely insufferable if we get him. Anyway... <laughs> so, um, loyal listener Chris, hello Chris, um, sent us an email and no, he sent us a DM. But if you want to send us questions, you can DM us like Chris did on Twitter at In and Around Pod or get in touch by any of the other social media sites where we're at In and Around Pod and all, except for LinkedIn. We're not on LinkedIn yet, but it's coming. Um, <laughs> or you could email us at In and Around Pod at gmail.com. However, Chris said, well, he was, it's less of a question, more of an ask. Uh, he wants to know what we're thinking about the extent of an agent's influence on transfers, new contracts, the games. Do they have much, Do they have too much power? What do we think of them? So there's a lot there, lads. But Mike, do you want to... What do you think the good and the bad of agents are and the impact they have on the game? Uh, well, there's plenty of bad ones. Mm-hmm. I think that's fairly well publicised. But obviously a good agent will advise players to what is actually good for them, whether that be a new deal or moving on or whatever um essentially just getting the best deal for their client whichever place that may be um some of the players will go to their agents and ask for a move um other times it seems like the agents pushing for a move um so they can get a bit of a fee off the transfer fee yeah um certain little tubby italian likes to do that Uh, the, uh, the only reason the only reason I went to you first was I assumed we'd get a Pogba rant, but yeah, yeah I well, thought that yeah. was coming. Mike, do we need another one of those? <laughs> Did you know he might sign a new contract? Apparently, because he's been impressed by Bruno Fernandez, or at least that's what oh, the yeah, one player will keep you at the club. Give me a break, Paul. <laughs> oh come on, how's it? If if Fred's resurgence isn't getting him to sign a contract, nothing will. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he's been impressed with one player. Let's sign a new deal, <laughs> shall we? Yeah. <laughs> All right, there we go. Um, Dave, uh, in terms of agents, um, mm-hmm. do you, they leave they give they leave me a bit of an uncomfortable taste in my mouth when I see like the likes of Rayola, like um, Chelsea famously didn't pulled out of a Lukaku deal and then went back in at the end because they weren't willing to pay 10 million to him on a 70 million deal. I know they do a lot of work, but that seems an obscene amount to me and it leaves a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. What do you think? I think with agents, like everything, there's going to be people that are in it for the right things, as Mike said, just looking to get the best move for their client and that's their sole interest. There's also going to be people that are in it for themselves just solely because of the amount of money involved like as an agent 
I can imagine if your client wants to sign a contract at somewhere, like a new deal, and you're only getting 100k sign on, but you know that there's this big team after them, and if you can push deal, you could 10 times or whatever the fee you'd receive. Mm. Obviously, whatever your judgment is of what's actually best for your client as a player, of course, you're going to push for the thing that you get a million pounds from. Why not? Mm. Um, I think with agents as a whole... That just shouldn't be... That's just not right, though. That's, that's not I know right it's mentality. not right, but at the end not of the, the day, right agents mentality. are businessmen. They're looking to they're looking to make a living for themselves as much as as much as any footballers, mm-hmm. and that obviously has to play into their thoughts. I think I agree. Agents... If, if they think about the long run, if if they get a reputation as being a good agent because they're making good deals for their clients, not for themselves. Mm. If you, I don't know, maybe maybe you make more money if you just go for the short termism. But surely, if people get a good um, get good like reviews of you from their mates they'll sign with you and then you get more deals anyway mm-hmm. I, I don't know that, that's the way I'd rather do it I, know, I think to be honest with a lot of agents they're not they're not they're not like that bad like what agents do at a soul level for getting the money side of it is pretty much like some of the most important things anyone could be doing yeah. for a player because if a player is getting to a point where they're at the end of a contract or say they're out of contract and it's a pre-season and they need to get trials and whatever they can just focus on their fitness focus on playing football to the best of their abilities knowing that their agent is going to be in touch with the current club they're at touch with teams set up trials i imagine as a player that's a hell of a lot of pressure off your own shoulders because you know that you may be in a spot where something hasn't worked out and you're looking to go somewhere else but you're not like left by yourself you've got someone yeah. helping you try and solve yeah. that situation and I think a good agent I think you see it mostly with young footballers actually the players that maybe don't make it at the mm. academy and they make a move that people might be like oh I didn't think they go down to that level like a lot of players will leave Prem academies and go to like league one or two rather than the championship or another Prem team Mm. a lot of a lot of times I would imagine that as agents saying well if you go to this level you're going to play and you're going to develop whereas yeah you might sign for a Prem team or whatever and it's a bit of a stopgap but you're not really gonna it might actually put you back so I think I think the like principle of what agents do is very very important to players but obviously because they're representing solely a player that obviously comes into can cause sort of disputes between clubs and players and clubs players and agents as free parties i guess Hmm. um again i actually think i think other than rayola who every time i see him and i know this might even be unfair every time i see a player's signed with Raiola I think to myself oh we're in trouble like he's gonna he's just gonna move you around for that he wants his players to do three four years move around to the best point and then move them on I think there are plenty of good agents though regardless of a few it's not yeah. a few bad apples a few bad apples don't spoil the batch well that's I butchered that phrase but you know what I mean um <laughs> and they do some they do some really important work and quite frankly the clubs like it or not a lot of clubs treat players 
completely like assets and forget that yeah. the human side of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the clubs have these large legal teams. They have these large PR bases. They have all these assets to make sure the club comes out of it looking well. And agents, for like it or not, they want to, uh, the best ones want what's best for their client. So I think they're an important part of the support structure around a player. And although I think some of them, like Rayola, the super agents, George Mendes, for example, have too much power. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that on a whole, an agent can be the difference between someone having a promising career that's cut short or a long and successful career that ensures they get paid what they should be paid. They also earn far too much money, in my view. That is interesting though the idea of there's almost there's almost like in a way like we talk about in the premier league we've got this we've got this list of super clubs and then we've got this list of ordinary clubs in with agents we've almost got this list of super agents your mendez your um kiajorkaban whatever his name is he's a right knob um allegedly uh and then you've got um uh rayona as well they earn stupid sums of money for brokering these transfer deals, in which, to me, they don't actually do a lot in these transfer deals. <laughs> like, um, yeah, it's a good point. It's it's pretty interesting, um, and I'm not sure how I feel about it, but if you think they get paid too much, Brez, what would you like to see happen? How do you think they could like curb maybe how much they're getting paid, how much they're influencing deals? What, how? Um, well, there's a couple of things I noted down on our preparation thing so the, the one would be some way to cap an agent fee from a, a transfer or a new deal or something yep i mean they're obviously doing the negotiating but at the end of the day it's the player that's mm-hmm. signing that's <laughs> signing or is the real asset that the club are gaining by the transfer mm-hmm. i don't know what i don't think you could really do that as a fee you'd probably have to do it as a percentage of yeah that would, that would probably be something I'd maybe look at. Um, the other thing is the how easy it is to become an agent. I, I don't know the specifics exactly behind this, but I'd, I'd like there to be specific tests or certificates or something you have to have to be an agent, which I'm not sure there necessarily is. Mm. I don't know whether that would create too many barriers to entry because a lot of players like to be represented by their families. Yeah, that, that was... That would be so a real problem. Yeah, whether that's... I don't know. I'd just like to see... Yeah, some agents who are... I'm sure there's loads of them out there, but agents who are actually out there for the good of their client. Do you find it interesting you say they get paid too much, Mike? Because, frankly, in an entire sport where you could argue everyone gets paid too much... Um, no, nope. I don't think it as a, a football fan, but there's how many people are saying footballers earn stupid oh. amounts of monies, of money rather than monies. Um, yeah, the monies, obviously, and with transfers and contracts, they're not they're not as frequent as you might imagine. Like, yeah, you get players where, like Rooney's a famous one with Paul Stratford, who basically would make Rooney upset the apple cart at united in the hope he would get a bigger and better deal which happened quite a few times so yeah, Sergio Ramos has been doing it for years yeah Sergio Ramos has used united's name for about 10 years at this point yeah. to get a new deal it's, it's in, great the, way. it's great in the, in the grand scheme of things most players aren't doing that so if you're representing a player even at a top club you're only going to get a real big chunk of money if they sign a new deal or they move elsewhere 
I don't. In fact, I don't even know how it works. I'm guessing there's some sort of agreement where players may pay some sort of small percentage of their wage to the agent each. Yeah, it's probably each that's month, how it works, just it? as like a fee to to be represented you by them. I don't imagine. You have them on retainer. Retainer, I guess. Yeah. Which is basically basically just a salary you pay them. Yeah. I yeah, just you're representing a, a few players. Yeah. Oh yeah. Half decent players. You're raking it in for not doing all that much. <laughs> no? no? I, I, I can't pretend to know the inner workings of oh, all the agents. agents but, but, yeah. If Minoel is getting 10 mil off a 70 mil transfer, Actually, what's he even done? He's, he's had a few phone calls. <laughs> oh, yeah. Chelsea want to buy you. ER Roman. Here's Lukaku. 70 mil, mate. Give me God. 10 mil. You don't, want to, you, don't, you don't want to be negotiating on the phone with Roman. You just don't want to be doing it. And I'm sure you don't. But. He doesn't negotiate, does he? Liverpool fans, he buys uh, buyout clauses, apparently, is what he does. Anyway, <laughs> um, I think it's really interesting, um, Dave, that you did mention there, because one day we'll probably sit on this podcast and talk about how ludicrous it is that people think footballers are overpaid. Um, because they are quite friendly. That'll get us some, that'll get us some listeners. Yeah, I tell you what, that that'll piss off a lot of people, and a lot of people deserve to be pissed off. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of pissed off people, I think we've uh, we've had a quite a combative podcast today, but it's been good fun. And thank you to the loyal listeners, Mr. James Yates and Mr. Chris. I never know his second name. Um, it's Jay. Chris Jay. Um, for your questions, if you want to send us questions, you like I mentioned earlier, you can do on by feet by messaging us. <laughs> in and around pod on all socials god my words aren't working today or emailing us at in and around pod at gmail.com speaking of socials dave if the people want to follow you and just listen to things from you where can they do that it's at dave harris underscore 44 and mr mike Bresen, if the people want to come and see what you've written what you're talking about maybe they can find out about your padres takes or they can oh, or they could find out about how you might have compared another striker to another striker and got it horribly wrong and scored one goal all season. And um, where can they do that? Has he even got one goal? Yeah, he scored the FA Cup, I think. Oh, that's nice of him. I might have been watching, actually. He, he scored might have, a couple uh, of might have had two. Cup. Might have had two. I'll take that back. Uh, at Definitely didn't if you want to read more about Joe Linton. Joe Linton. Place to go. Good stuff and you can follow me at wilhunt17 but please don't please instead as i've mentioned follow us at in and around pod on all your socials except for linkedin it's coming soon um anyway thank you for joining us this week and until next time i don't know watch damien duff highlights <laughs>